how'd you vote in the poll I put up for The Force Awakens? I love it. Okay, good man. Why Why do you love The Force Awakens, Matt? Because it's a fucking good movie. Is it? Back the fuck off. <laughs> Who are you? I'm no one. I was raised to do one thing. But I've got nothing to fight for. stand in our way. I will finish what you started. Well, it's good that we're here to talk about it today on the Waffle Press podcast. Hello. Welcome back to another Waffle Press retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. Who's with me today? Are you? Sh- it's me, Macaringo. Are you sure we're not here to talk about Murder on the Orient Express or The Lone Ranger? <laughs> Hey, we had like a 10-minute conversation about both those things before this started. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Again, we're here to talk about Star Wars The Force Awakens, the last official film in our Star Wars retrospective series. We finally made it. Well, it's the last one out while we're recording. And it's still not the end. But it's the last movie, specifically, we're going to talk about that was made by human hands. And there's, there will be more Star Wars films because, as was announced today, Ryan Johnson's going to be uh, helping with uh, another, the second trilogy, the next trilogy, after this trilogy. It is a spin-off trilogy, though, I, I guess, because it's not related to the Skywalker story. Does that just mean there's no more Skywalkers, you think? Um, that just I, means I that mean... maybe, maybe Luke will pop up and be like, hey, good on you. <laughs> and then... <laughs> We move on. Or that he'll, like, go off into the sunset at the end of one of these. Or he's going to die. I mean, that's the other option. (laughs) But I am fine with these movies moving away from the Skywalker story. And uh, it's well-known fact now that this uh, sequel trilogy did not have an overarching story when they set out to make it. Mm -hmm. And I think they want to change that for the next trilogy, which I think is a good idea, too. Because there's nothing um, wrong with having a game plan. Nothing wrong, but don't get too locked down to it. No, no, of course. I, I know there's like different approaches to storytelling. George R. R. Martin has a good, uh, he, has a, he has a really good like uh, explanation of the types of storytellers. You know, there's the ones who plot out like every little point along the way, but he likes to plan things out in broad strokes and then just see where the story leads him and the characters lead him. I like that. Approach. Yeah, I hopefully feel like, that won't lead to <laughs> seven long books. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't want a trilogy that turns into seven movies or anything. Yeah. but you know, just let the story take you where it needs to take you. Because yeah, Star get a Wars. good get a good idea of what next one should be about, and then just move through it, and also bring in other people. Yes, uh, I love oh. Ryan Johnson, and I guess the Last Jedi is fucking awesome because they trust him to guide. A new trilogy, so I, I would like. Well, they to wanted see... them to do nine at one point. Yeah, and he was like, "No, and... I think I want to do the other stuff." 
So I guess that was that's how they convinced them. They're like, okay, don't do nine, but what if you did this? And it's a pretty good consolation, I, mean, I guess. I've always liked Ryan Johnson, so I've been excited for the Last Jedi. But I like I still kind of have to see it before I'm like, all right, I'm glad he's doing it. Yeah, because to bring it back to the reason we're here. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> I I've always liked J.J. Abrams to an extent, even you know flaws and all. But that didn't mean I was necessarily okay with him doing Star Wars. And so, you know, before the movie, like, I couldn't really see, like, I was like, we're probably going to get a competent film, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good film. And I was uh, happily surprised, I guess you could say. It's kind of shocking how good this movie is, honestly. It has no business being as good as it is. (laughs) And I'm not saying it's perfect, because it's far from perfect. But of, like, what could have happened, it's, it's shocking. Quick little brief uh, discussion. Like, let's, let's spend a couple minutes just talking about your history with Abrams. You said you're mostly a fan, flaws and all. Is it safe to say that Star Trek Into Darkness, the film that he made directly before The Force Awakens, is probably his biggest misstep as a filmmaker? Probably. Um, just just because that film fails in its DNA, like there's no way where there's like it's not like you go all right you know change a couple things here, do this like and you'll make it a better movie. There's no like from the inception it's bad, and from what I understand he's the one who pushed for the series to go that way. Like I mean not that he wrote it, it was written by other hacks. <laughs> But he was the one who's like, let's bring Khan back. Because I remember the one of those Orsi or whatever the fuck, one of those idiots actually gave an interview after Star Trek 09 saying, we don't want to touch Khan. Like, that seems like a mistake. And then Abrams was kind of like, no, let's do it. And guess what? It turned out to be a mistake. Yeah, and I guess one of the original plans was to actually do Gary Mitchell, the man who basically becomes a space god in Star Trek, the original series. I don't know if that was like the original plan, but I know that that's what I was hoping. That, it was when there was the, a mysterious it was character. Least, it was at least one of the discussions, the, the ideas that they had. And then well, let's, it was let's talk about how big the Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness dropped the ball in terms of that franchise. <laughs> <laughs> say, and this has actually been pointed out by other people, but I've, had, I've thought this before Quentin Tarantino said it in an interview, um, which was that Star Trek 09 basically set up that we could... they could do big-budget remakes of the best classic Star Trek episodes, right? Right. Like, you could have done, like, a fucking $100 million version of City on the Edge of Forever. Which, fuck Like, yeah. that would have been amazing. Oh, my God, yeah. Check out City on the Edge of Forever, because if you're not into Star Trek, I think that's the one that will at least show you the potential that why people like this series so much because that's that is a great science fiction story. That or Balance of Terror. Oh fuck yeah! Uh, those are like the two to start with because they're just great. And then watch the episodes with mud. But like I'm saying, you could have done like you know these big budget remakes of the best episodes, which like you know fans can argue. But mainstream wise, I would say there's probably about ten like truly great episodes that like everyone would love of the original Star Trek series they, that like can be made in the movies. One of them is Gary Mitchell. And that's he's like, and I honestly thought that's where they were going with it. So I was like, that's cool. Like, I mean, it's, I get it that it's a little cynical in the, 
oh, we're just seeing things we've seen before. But it's seeing things that didn't, they haven't looked that great in a long time and are worth expanding on. And instead, they just went and did, let's do Wrath of Khan again, which is what every Star Trek movie was trying to do for a long time. And that's awful. That's what ended up and it ends up being the worst. I mean, I, not the worst. Nemesis still might be the worst Star Trek movie. Nemesis is the worst Star Trek movie. Nemesis or Generations, those two are pretty fucking bad. They wanted to make Star Trek into an action series, which is, I think, yeah. another problem with Star Trek in the darkness. It's like, because I will say to, to its credit and Abrams' credit, he still directs the shit out of some action sequences. It's, it's a solid, like, action film. But that movie moves. It's two hours, and it's a brisk two hours. And it's just weird. It's the, the, the frustrating thing about it is that it's, it's basically revisiting all the same ideas that Star Trek 09 did. I, I wouldn't say, say I love 09, but I like it. I, I'd still say Star Trek 09 is, is a great movie, and Abrams think, directs the shit out of that, too. I think it suffered. I think Into Darkness actually pulls it down a little. I know that's a little unfair, but I actually think I can make that case, and I will make a similar case later as we go into Force Awakens. But there's something to the J.J. style where if the next film isn't good, it can damage the previous film. And if you keep up with that style, it could possibly just keep damaging films, (laughs) depending (laughs) on how long you get away with uh, the style that Abrams does. Let's look at two things real quick. Which are the prequel films and the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Which both of those things, to succeed, you had to hand the ball off to new characters. Or at least, you know, mostly new characters and maybe one or two hangers on. And both never really did that very well. There's never a time when the next generation took over the Star Wars story in the EU. They only kind of finally hand the story off to Anakin in the prequels in the final film. And because of that, everything feels rushed. Well, and to, po- to just bring it back to The Force Awakens, which we seem to be avoiding. I don't know um, why. This is a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. And I took a lot of great notes. One of the things that separates this film from all other Star Wars films, this movie knows that there has to be a mystery for the sequels. And the original Star Wars films doesn't have a ton of mystery in it. I mean, we get enough. Like, basically, you can watch the original Star Wars film as a standalone movie. You don't need any sequels. You don't need any questions answered. But this movie deliberately brings up more questions than it can possibly answer in its runtime because it knows it's going to get sequels. And this allows it to make uh, fairly compelling characters, especially with the villain, who is much more interesting in this film than Darth Vader was in the original Star Wars. Not the original trilogy, but in the first Star Wars. We get an entire backstory for Kylo Ren. Vader, you just know that he murdered Luke's father, which he didn't even do. <laughs> uh, but this one, we have, you know, a character that actually has a lot of meta narrative going on with him. But we'll get into that. All right. So coming out of the theater. All I can say is that I went into it going like, it'll probably be all right. If it's not anything special, I'm not going to lose anything at this point. Um, I, I'm not someone who was like, they're going to ruin Star Wars. Star Wars has its place. And I'm satisfied with only liking three of them. And that, and I never thought there'd be a world where I was going to get an episode seven. And now I like four of them. Kind of five. But that's the spinoff thing, which makes everything weird. I now like more than three. And I did not expect that going into the theater. 
Yeah, I was I, I was really excited. Uh, for some reason, the second trailer made me like emotional. Uh, mm. They. The, the Yoda and the Force theme kicked off during one of the trailers, and I was just like, I felt like I was sh- like sh- transcending. Do you mean, do you mean the teaser, or do you mean the one with where we finally saw Han Solo? The one where we finally see Han Solo, the Chewie were home. Cause, yeah, cause, yeah, like, uh, right yeah that, that uh, that touched emotions in me I didn't know existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, holy shit, I'm really excited for this. And even though I I had. By that point, I hadn't really soured on Star Trek Into Darkness entirely yet. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't sure how good this was going to be because Abrams is the safe choice. Doesn't mean the wrong choice, as we'll come to find out, but the safe choice for sure. And then uh, I, I, I watched the movie, and I think, yeah, it's pretty good. That was a lot of fun. It's not quite as good. I don't like it as much as Star Trek 09, but it's really good. And then it just sat with me for a night, and I was like, hang on, I got to watch that again. And then I watched it again, and the second time I'm just like in tears, like by the end of it, and I'm just like, "Holy shit, this is like something. Something happened, and it took me a little while to figure out all the little components and all the pieces whirling around inside me." But J.J. Abrams, this is this is his best movie. I feel like it's safe to say. Yeah, I would say that as well. And he's he he's got he's more than just a fancy visualist. He, I think his visuals in this specifically garner a lot of compelling emotion. He knows how to build character through images, which is important. Mm-hmm. He knows how to build on theme even a little bit here. He's and, oddly uh, enough got the character stuff down more than a lot of his other things. Yeah. Um, so let, but... let's, just, let's just start diving in then because uh, the big complaint I think for a lot of people is that it's a very repetitive story. Um, Almost like there's a point to it. Yeah, you hear uh, you hear time. a lot of uh, complaints that are parroted because sometimes people have confused emotions about a movie <laughs> and they want a quick answer as to why they didn't love it and then they just repeat the same things over and over again. Yeah. And so one is that this is just Star Wars again. It isn't. Um, so that, that I just ended that argument. Um, <laughs> Well, it's easy to see why, because at a quick glance, if you're not actually like paying attention to what's happening in the movie... If you're not listening to anything in the film, yeah, sure, it's yeah. Star Wars again. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people... Oh, no, you wouldn't be surprised. It's it. A lot of people are idiots, and I love a lot of idiots, but they are idiots nonetheless. That, yeah, it, it's, it's similar. There's a rough outline to the original Star Wars that this loosely kind of falls into place, but almost like reluctantly. Mm. But the characters are reluctant in it. Because ultimately, like, what, what is Star Wars The Force Awakens about to you? Let's, let's kick off with this. You should answer your own question. Because I was like, I, I know what to say, but I couldn't, like, think of the right words. Uh, Star Wars <laughs> The Force Awakens. The original trilogy is, is World War II, the Viet, um, Vietnam War. Familiar imagery with, in terms of that context. The mm. Force Awakens is a very millennial Star Wars I feel like in that the the Star Wars baby boomer generation didn't really establish a uh, a well-off post-war society and so they're falling into a lot of similar struggles and issues that they mm. dealt with previously because they weren't able to move on successfully from that. I guess I guess 
the point of this movie is that it's about how no one got the original Star Wars was about Vietnam. Yes. Because if you don't pick up on that, you elect Reagan in 80. Yes. Um, that was a way of putting it, but yes. And he starts his own Star Wars program. Com- also <laughs> completely missing the point. Of, <laughs> and if you want a great example of how the Democrats have always been fucking morons, they were the first one to coin the term Star Wars, thinking it was like an insult. And then, of course, Reagan, being the brilliant, you know, charisma machine he was, embraced the term. So good job, fucking Democrats. You morons. Um, it tries to be Star Wars at the end and actually fucking fails miserably. I have a point on In that. one respect. I have, I have a um, point we'll, on that regarding that, but go ahead. We'll get to that. Um, but it's really just a, like it, the way I would suggest watching the force awakens is not that it's star Wars again. It's a greatest hits album of the original trilogy. You try to take as many elements from those films and put them in the one. And it was basically, I think it did the smart thing to do after the prequels, which try and bring star Wars back to what it originally was. And George Lucas was trying to tap into, like, what he called, I think he actually said in an interview, the collective unconsciousness of, you know, fairy tales and myths and all that. Mm-hmm. He was not inspired by Joseph Campbell, as a lot of people said. That, that was later. He was trying to tap into something, and I believe he's, he succeeded. And this film is not trying to tap into that. It's trying to tap into the original Star Wars, <laughs> for better or worse. And I think it succeeds more than it fails, significantly more than it fails. But at the same time, when it does fail, it, it, it clangs pretty hard. But that, you, that seems to come later in the film. I would say around the, the middle act-ish, it kind of slows down in a big way for me and then brings it back all the way home and I just cry all the way to the ending. Um, as, I, as I, for, are, like, I already disagree with you. Oh, fuck. Because okay. I know that middle shit. I fuck those people. Because <laughs> guess what? The original Star Wars drags in the middle, too. So, fuck A you. little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, so there you go. It, it is I miss when movies drag. <laughs> <laughs> movies have to drag a little. <laughs> that, all right, not to shit on a movie I know you really love. Uh-huh. I'm not trying to shit on it. But if you bring up Thor Rag- I'm going to kill you. Thor Ragnarok needed a little bit of drag. That movie was a little too fast. And I get that that's Marvel's thing, but it needed a moment that people walked out of complaining about it being slow. Because fuck that movies need slow moments. We need moments where people just sit around for a couple minutes. That shouldn't be your whole movie. That's what the prequels were. Where it seemed like every other scene had people standing around talking. But you need at least one scene like that. I love the shit out of Thor Ragnarok, and I would completely agree with you. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It needed to be a little slower at times. There's nothing wrong with it. It needed to be a little slower, because it, na- it, it nails that landing at the end. Oh, fuck yeah. And that would have justified it doing anything. <laughs> so, that was my biggest problem with that movie, is that it, it has such a great you know, start and finish that the middle could have been a lot bigger. And they, they just didn't, because I think they were still a little nervous. I mean, they, but, they're coming hey, off whatever. the dark world. Can you blame them? Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but, 
I, I would have liked. It could have been great. Instead, it was good. All right, you brought up the Campbellian myth stuff, the, uh, mm-hmm. the fairy tale myth stuff. This is very much the, the myth of Star Wars. Everyone's talking mm-hmm. about, like, Star Wars, the original trilogy events, as, like, some long-forgotten thing. And remember, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy, there's only, like, 17, 18 years of difference in between those, the, mm-hmm. the final film and the first film in those trilogies. And so that is, uh, even then, they're like, what's the force, you know? <laughs> and this is twice that length. So that, that leads to some heavy implications about the state of the universe. And so I think it's appropriate that Star Wars, the original stories, feel mythical and like legends, <laughs> almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, coming off the prequels, I totally, even from a cynical business standpoint, like, oh, yeah, I got to make it feel like the original Star Wars. I get that. But in terms of a, like a story and a narrative, to bring all this back and reconstruct it in one single movie, I think is a really cool idea. Because, yeah, you, you hit all the same beats. You open with the desert planet. Uh, the second one, or, or, or actually to kind of reverse it, Return of the Jedi is the forest one and the Empire is the snow one. Uh-huh. But you, you get what I mean. Similar locations Just and different environments. environments. Yeah. And also running around a base, hiding oh, something yeah. in a droid. The only thing this movie's really missing is a space battle. Uh, yeah. There's a planet battle. But then again, the reason why space battles were done in the original trilogy was because it was a lot cheaper to do. Just having, you know, battle. I mean, that Hoth battle, I think, probably took half the budget of Empire. <laughs> but this movie does it, it. This movie very specifically is trying to recapture that feeling of the original Star Wars right in the opening where it just, you know, the opening crawl is very direct as Luke Skywalker's vanished. And it just basically sets up that who the good guys and who the bad guys are. Mm-hmm. Gone is all the political talk that uh, was in most of the prequel crawls. And gone is shit like heroes on both sides. <laughs> which doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> um, I mean, basically, have, you know, Luke Skywalker's missing. We've got to find him. And we're right in the middle of looking for this guy. Then we immediately jump into that village, and we get, you know, the, the First Order's coming, and there's that whole fight. Like, I mean, like, the first, we, within the first, like, five minutes of the movie, not even, like, two minutes, we get a close-up of a woman with a gun ready for battle. <laughs> and it's like, all right, here's Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and I really like the opening shot of this, too, where it's, it's very similar to the original film again but a little different different enough that it is is visually inventive and just kind of pleasing to look at where the first one has the giant ship overtaking this small little ship this one has a, a nice bright little moon that gets overtaken by darkness haha <laughs> yeah, yeah. storytelling and it's nothing nothing like mind-blowing just one well, i mean hey, and you can look the into the, ori- the original shot being about the long reach of the empire and this one's kind of about the first order emerging from shadows yeah it it understands to keep the visual story simple yeah and maybe don't open with a boring craft landing in a hangar (laughs) and then two people walking off and going to a boardroom although to be fair that is that is very perfect for what the star wars prequels would be about and i would also Uh, say that this movie 
is about people being unable to move on from the past, given uh, what the character of Ray specifically. Mm. She's literally surrounded by nothing but desert and scraps of wars from before she was even born. Like that's that's all she has, and all she does, she's a scavenger. She just scavenges stuff that is lying around. She knows what it is, but it's not really that important to her. It's important for her to survive because that's all she has. And I, I think that's just a really nice way of establishing the world that she lives in. Yeah. And, and the kind of world that the, the characters are all in right now. Well, I would say the moment that I knew this movie won me over, because I was actually like a little shaky watching it the first time with the opening, specifically because of the moment where Kylo Ren stops a blaster with his force power <laughs> in midair. I was very nervous that that was setting up that he was going to be like uber badass dark villain, you know, like a fanboy creation in a bad way. And not that it's, he actually is a fanboy creation, but they, they did something interesting with that. Um, but I was a little worried that they were just, he was just going to be very strong bad guy. Cause like, it seemed unnecessary to do that. And it was cooler when Darth Vader just let him hit his palm, but I guess Darth Vader had robot hands, so that might explain that. Um, I don't know, that, that actually, I remember very vividly watching that theater and being very nervous when that moment happened. <laughs> you, get the, you get the feeling, you get that, you get what I'm saying? Kylo Ren could have been a, a horribly misused villain mm. about being cool and the dark side being all-powerful and like, oh, look how cool it is. It could have been another Starkiller character. Yeah. And it, he is the opposite of that. And mm-hmm. he, is, he is a fantastic villain. And we'll, we'll obviously get into it right now. But if they pull it off right, he could be easily just as iconic and compelling as Darth Vader was overall. And possibly, I think, even surpass that in terms of just pure storytelling. Well, he's, he's the great start. He's the deepest villain we've had in a long time in Star Wars. And that's saying something that we had basically three movies with no interesting villain. I, 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 mean, wouldn't, Emp- say, I wouldn't say the not Emperor's interesting, I say used. No, they're not interesting in the movies. They aren't. No, okay. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I, I can't really put that any other way. The like, Emperor's interesting in episode three, I'd say. He's fun, but he's not interesting. He's just pure evil. He's, he's, yeah, for you. Like, you know, he's not... Like, oh, I'm doing this because of some deep reason. Like, he's not, he's, he's interesting in how he's manipulating people, but his motivation isn't very interesting. Where he came from, like, what's driving him isn't super interesting. And what we learn about Kylo is actually very interesting. It's predictable. I think everyone went into this movie having a feeling that he was going to be someone's child. To, to the film's credit, they don't, like, make it a big, shocking reveal. That he's the son that's of one of the, Solo and Princess Leia. That's one of the best things about it, is that it's just kind of thrown out there. Yeah, like it simply is. It is, like, it's not a huge twist, mm. but it still feels important. It's not tossed aside. It's not a big revelation. It is a part of the world. It's a fabric of the universe. And I think it's, it, it's played exactly as, at it, as it, it is needed to be. And it's told immediately after Han comes back into the story. Yep, so it's not some dragged on thing. It's It's not like people are sitting around going like, 
hey Han, why aren't you going home? Like, oh, now we know why. <laughs> yeah. We don't need any more. We know. Mm-hmm. Shit went wrong. <laughs> Shit went wrong. The post-war uh, generation fucked up. And I think that's also something that people really kind of are uncomfortable with confronting. It's kind of a bold move. I know this movie gets a lot of flack for not being the boldest in terms of storytelling. But to have your original trilogy heroes essentially have fucked up somehow in not preparing the next generation is, I think, a big statement to make. Yeah. I, I would agree. And not a lot of people talk about that. <laughs> One other thing I would like to point out is a lot of people, and myself included, have complained about some, like, some of the story maybe not making a lot of sense or there being elements missing. But if you watch it and you pay attention, all the stuff is there. Just some of it maybe needed to be spelled out a little more. Specifically, like, I, I think about, like, the relationship between the First Order and the New Republic and the Resistance is actually very, like, not explained. Yeah, no, that's... There you go. If we to a, the problems with the movie, I think that needed flushing out more. I think a little more, but when you watch it, visually it's telling you every second that it can like everyone's relationship i think of just like i was just rewatching it and there's just that moment when poe is like captured and he's brought on board the first order ship and he just he just has like this brief moment of him like looking around where it's very clear that he's like like he wasn't expecting the first order to be this well equipped so it means like he's part of a resistance, but it's not like they're like they weren't expecting an army this big. And it's just in that brief little moment. Now it probably should have been spelled out more, but it's there in the movie. I'm not I can't be like CinemaSins like going like, hey, like actually I can be. And then have another guy make a video pointing out how no, it's actually explained in the movie. It, and you get moments like that. Like and also Hux gives that whole speech at one point, that if you really listen to it, it basically explains everything you need to know. But it kind of, the way that play, that whole scene plays out, you don't realize what it's building towards. So you're not really listening to what he's saying. <laughs> and it, it makes that, it makes the destruction of the New Republic kind of go by without being noticed. I feel like that could have been handled a little better. But yeah. all this stuff is in the movie. And uh, were you the, was I the only one who thought that was Coruscant that was destroyed? Um, yeah, same. I thought that. Yeah, and then I, I guess it just wasn't. Yeah, like, well, I mean, it makes sense that you would maybe want to change the location of the galaxy's capital after the old one was one of the most corrupt places in the galaxy. Yeah, no, um, no, it, it does. But, like, on, on one hand, I kind of wish it was Coruscant because then it's, like, completely just obliterating established locations from um, Star Wars universe. Kind of what you feel like maybe they should have done with Naboo or Alderaan in mm-hmm. leading into the prequel to the original trilogy, if you wanted to bridge that a little more. But yeah, I, I felt that would have been a maybe a stronger narrative decision. But I'm also not that smart. So, so I was talking earlier about this a little bit about uh, how I was nervous after the whole Kylo Ren being uber-powerful moment. Yes. Um, and then the movie immediately won me back with the entire introduction to Ray sequence, um, where she has no dialogue for like a good couple minutes, and we just kind of see her daily life. And the moment she's sitting outside of her little 
hut that's built into an ATAT. And she just puts on that little helmet. That's when I'm like, all right, I'm 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 good. <laughs> I want to see where this character goes. Mm-hmm. And it was that simple. That's all you needed to do, George, to get to win me over for a character. I was talking already about how much I love just the establishing shots of her and how much this movie just takes its time in the first half hour. Mm. It just the first half hour is like entirely in that first order ship or on Jakku. Mm. It just it just I still think settle. I still think it moves a little too fast. Once this is just the problem I have with modern blockbusters, though. But again, I guess I'm, I'm approaching it from the perspective of the original Star Wars. And again, like I've already set up how this is the greatest hits of the original trilogy. But I was just thinking, like, how long they're on Tatooine in the original. And I feel like there just needs to be a little more on Jakku, because like, I don't buy that Rey doesn't have any friends. <laughs> that she doesn't have at least a confidant or something. Like, maybe someone, like, she doesn't, like, totally like, but it's the only person she can trust. She has, uh, what's her, what's his fuck? Uncle Plot, or whatever. Uh, is he even named, like, in the movie? Never named in the film. Um, actually, no, you hear someone say his name when they're going to try and steal the droid. But that's about it. <laughs> uh, Simon um, Pegg, by the way. Yeah, Simon Pegg is that, which was cool to learn. But... He doesn't. She doesn't have a friend. She doesn't have someone. She doesn't have an Aunt Peru. <laughs> like, like an older woman who maybe, like, you know, just is kind to her. Someone who gets killed when the First Order attacks and kind of pushes her to leave a little more. Um, well, here's, here's why I like, like that, though. Here's why I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Because, you know, there's that whole mystery about, like, who's Rave's parents? And that's not really the mis. There's no real mystery behind it. Like it's, they could always uh, retcon this, I guess, or maybe that was the intention. But I think Ray waiting for her parents who never show up works because, like the rest of the film and the rest of the universe, they can't move on from the sins of the past. They can't move on into the future because they're they're holding on to something. And she's I, waiting yeah, for her I, parents to come back, you know. And I get that. She doesn't but, need anybody else. I, yeah, but she needs someone else. She needs like a. You don't live on a planet that long and not at least develop a buddy. I mean, that's maybe, but maybe everyone there is just a fucking asshole. I yeah. Well, then establish that a little more. We only get okay. Unker Plutt <laughs> and and one other dude who kind of like yells at her. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's. I just want to bring this up. I, I there's also this one moment. Uh, I think it's right before Ray looks off into the distance and sees that ship flying, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when she's, like, scrubbing the, the the scraps. And she just looks across the table, and there's this little old lady yeah. scrubbing like her. And it's like, oh, man, that that could be her. She could be waiting there that long. Yeah, And it's, it's just a small little moment. And small little stuff like that, I think, put this movie a little over the edge for me in this opening. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that, those small touches. I made a, a big Twitter thread about this a while ago, but uh, I really like that the the main three characters we're following, they're all covered, their introductions, they're wearing masks. They're hiding their faces. And it's just a small little visual thing, but I think that says a lot more than it doesn't in terms mm-hmm. of who they are and what they want and what's expected of them. And... I just, I really like that. It's, it's really simple visual cues that Abrams and company have set up that 
even if you don't realize what they're saying, they're saying something. Ray is, no. is just a scavenger. Finn is just a First Order trooper. Kylo Ren just wants to be the next Darth Vader. And along the way, they shed those masks for different reasons, at different times, different circumstances, but how they all evolve through it. And so by the end, when it's just them and their faces and they're all beating the shit out of each other in the snow, it's, it feels very powerful to me. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm a little sick of mask motifs because of the Dark Knight films. Because that mask thing is all... Uh, you're making a good point, though. But I couldn't see it because I was so sick of mask shit after the Dark Knight films. BB-8 ain't wearing a mask, though. Poe doesn't wear a mask because he already knows what a, he is and who he is and what he wants from the start of the movie. He's also not a main character in the show. He's also not a main character. Fuck. And he, he was supposed to die. <laughs> yes. And then they changed that. Um, they changed it very sloppily, but they changed it. <laughs> like they didn't even try like it, they just did they just did like alright he lives like yeah. uh, but you know that's kind of how you are when you play Star Wars as a kid <laughs> which is kind of what this movie has a, a lot of so but back to BB-8 um, I don't totally understand why Ray protects BB-8 initially maybe because that's the only Thing she wants, or the only the only thing that was nice, I got nothing. Because um, he's like annoyed with them at first. Like I get like when Unkerplot, uh, Unkerplot or whatever, when when he offers you know all the fucking rations, she kind of looks. She kind of looks at BBA, and you get the sense that, like she she can tell that this droid's a little more important than she understands and we she doesn't know but we know that she's got the force in her on some level that hasn't yet awoken um but i can understand like her keeping him in that moment i just don't understand why she initially buddies up with him i guess i guess you know what not it makes sense because she's like i don't get why she saves him though it would have made more sense if she had like stumbled across him on her own but the fact that she saves him is what makes it a little weird Yeah. Cool, cool building um, though. I just like seeing those little monsters in Star Wars. So. Oh yeah, no, I, yeah. all the practical shit is great, yeah. mixed with CGI, which is what you should do. Yes, it's not like Underplot is a great example because his face is like CGI, but the body is all practical. And I also want to point out that uh, we also get that scene where Kylo Ren interrogates Poe, which is pretty cool. Um, just that's because that's and that sets up a later scene. Which is even better, mm-hmm. but uh, he finds out that the that the map to Luke Skywalker is hidden in a BB-8 unit, and I, I think it's a little weird that he doesn't really think about that too much. I'm pretty sure someone would have told the story about the one time his mom hid the Death Star plans in a droid. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. Like, you think maybe he would look at it a little bit and be like, hey, isn't it weird? Like, you think he would he would be one picking up on how a lot of elements are lining up. Um, maybe he's just an idiot. Maybe. Like, he's, he's a really entitled brat who just... Actually, you know what? Again, when I think about my complaints, there is an explanation, which is that he's too distracted by his father. 
like when his father comes crashing back into the story, he can't really think straight. And that's why he has that conflict about whether or not to kill his father. Because mm-hmm. that's this, you know, that's what's tempting him to not be a horrible asshole. Um, so I guess there's an explanation. Yeah, it works. Yeah, hey. Something. Yeah. Again, a lot a lot more works in this movie than it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Which is which is nice. You know what's something that doesn't totally work in this movie? The Wrath Tars. Um and I might get I mean no. I like the Wrath Tars. I like I'm the one like asshole on earth. No, I, I, I'm I, the one asshole who likes the Rathars. Uh, Admittedly, they did not look good on the big screen. Fuck no. <laughs> but on my television, they look fine. Yeah, I've softened up on them a lot. I, I, I gave that scene a lot of shit when I first saw it. I just love the idea that Han Solo is smuggling monsters. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of like it, but then he's so, like, callously, offhandedly mentions, like, we used to have a bigger crew. It's like, oh my god. Like, these things yeah, killed... Yeah, that's Han Solo. Han <laughs> Solo's a horrible asshole. He was a horrible asshole who becomes a better kind of yeah, asshole. Yeah, but shit, but he became a good person, and guess what? His life still turned to shit. So, he, of course, he would go back to being a horrible asshole. <laughs> okay, sure. I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense... You can fucking you can complain about it being a retread of all that shit, which is totally valid, but it makes sense in the story. Yes, not a mistake. Which has ultimately been my point in all of this stuff, in the quote unquote retread stuff. If you can't move on from the past, you're fucking doomed to repeat it, which is basically all of this shit and why I'm actually okay with the mega Death Star bullshit. Mm. <laughs> which is dumb. We'll get to that. Kind of of Uh, works for me. What was I going to say? All right, but the one thing I think, I wouldn't say doesn't work, because it works a little, but it kind of doesn't reach its full potential. I might get a lot of shit for this, but it's the character of Finn. Fucking, I knew it. I knew it. That's the one thing I hadn't Uh, talked about. I knew it. Yeah, and notice like we hadn't really got to him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's just that, Really interesting setup, which is that, you know, he's, in a, he's a stormtrooper abandoning his duty. Out of cowardice, essentially. But that never really goes anywhere other than it makes him along for the ride. Um, I, he just, he feels like he's more along for the ride than any other character in this movie. That, and that's including Han Solo. Who really should have kind of been along for the ride. And but, ends up kind of driving the narrative for like one fifth of the movie, which is nothing wrong with that. Because I don't think he character. drives the narrative, but he's a big part of the narrative. Pushes, um, maybe pushes characters in a direction. He he gives weight to the narrative. Okay, which wouldn't matter. Like we would have a lot of these same conflicts. They just wouldn't matter as much if Han Solo wasn't there. And they wouldn't end up at Maz Kanata. I mean, sure, it's fiction, so they could end up wherever the fuck they want them to. But I mean, like, in terms of the story, he wouldn't be the guiding force to there. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about Finn then. Because I think Finn, in a weird way, might be kind of the heart of the movie. He's the heart, definitely. But I'm just saying, I think there's a lot of more potential they could have had with the character that they just never tap into. 
And maybe that'll be in the sequel, but I'm not sure because of where he's at at the end of The Force Awakens. I don't know, I just wanted like a stormtrooper as a main character, and he's not really a stormtrooper. Yeah, and... Uh, and it seems well, a little weird that he would be sent on such an important mission on his first day. <laughs> like, maybe you would send a more, you know, skilled task force, but hey, the the First Order is probably pulling resources. They gotta make cuts somewhere. Might as well be with the Stormtroopers. <laughs> oh, we put I, all the money in the Starkiller base. Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So um, I mean, the first order is basically just like a a cults of neo Nazis, space neo Nazis, but like without the foothold that they have in our actual society. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and Although the EU kind of establishes that there are imperial sympathizers that exist in the New Republic government. Oh, geez, that's relevant. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually really good. Uh, <laughs> go read Bloodline. Star Wars Bloodline, it's about Princess Leia coming to terms with the fact that Vader is her father. It's good. I'll check it out. But anyways, Finn, even though he's the heart of the movie, he doesn't actually want to help the Resistance. He just wants to help Rey, which I think might be kind of off-putting to some people. No, I like that. Okay. I'm fine with that. Um, because fuck helping those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I would. I don't know. It's just I get where he's coming from. I maybe wouldn't have staked the everyone's lives <laughs> on just getting me to a base. But I think he believed. I mean, he's pounding around with Han Solo. I'd be like, "Hey, Han's Han's probably got some tricks up his sleeve. He'll know what to do. I just need to get him there." And also, I just need to convince him to take me. And also, he's a. Uh... He's really, for the first time, realizing his own agency at the start of this yeah. movie. And the only other person who's acknowledged that up to the time of meeting him at the start of the movie is Ray. Han Solo eventually does, too. His character, what his character does really drives... It's, it's what brings Han Solo along for the climax. And it's what drives the characters away at Maz's castle just so those characters can split up. I mean, he's very much a function of the story, but that's a detriment to him as an actual character. He's not really making decisions that are that interesting as a character. He's very much like a very standard like guy lying about who he is, which is the plot of like 90% of Disney films. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Poe's a Disney prince. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. No, I mean, uh, fucking Poe. Um, you know, to Finn. Finn is a Disney prince. Okay. Yeah, he's a sleeping beauty by the end of the fucking thing. Oh, fuck yeah. I um, love it. So, there you go. <laughs> Kylo Ren's Maleficent. Yeah, hey. I'm so happy right now. That's, that's great, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Great job. We great. did it. It's all great. <laughs> fuck that. But anyway, uh, Finn's all right. I like him, though. I, I, John Boyega is just great, so he kind of sells a character who's not as developed. I, I'm really just complaining about the fact that he's not as developed as Ray, who I think is a great character, and I can't... Honestly, I leaving the theater, the thing I was most excited about, shockingly wasn't to see where Luke is going to be in the next movie. It was to see more of Ray. 
I wanted to know where her story was going. And that's exactly what this movie needed to sell. Um, Finn, I don't really give a fuck about. Aww. I'm fine. I like Finn. I'm, I'm cool with him coming back, but I'm more interested in Ray. I, I prefer um, see, Ray, I guess, as well. I, I think they're both great characters. But Finn, mostly because of potential. Ray, because this movie sells a shit out of her. Yeah. And in a way, you can kind of... You, you don't know where her story's going, but you know what it's going to entail. A, a Force journey. I mean, that's just... She's a Jedi. That, that's what it's going to be. It's fucking Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, this Finn, is what happens in these movies. <laughs> Finn, I'm excited because he's basically, he's realized his own agency now. Now he needs to find his place in the universe. I mean, that's, really, that's what the next one's going to be all about. They're all going to yeah. find their place in the universe. But I'm really well, excited all- for Finn because I have no idea what that's going to look like. Well, this also taps into one of the problems I have with J.J. Abrams, which is that uh, a lot of his movies are feel like they're all first acts and not, yes. and it never gets beyond that. Um, I mean, this movie's a lot better in that regard, but at the same time, the entire arc of both characters for most of the film is their refusal of the call. You know, the call to adventure, which is part of the hero's journey. Yeah. And that's something that's supposed to get resolved pretty early. (laughs) And instead, they both don't get resolved until the very end. And... It works fine, but it also makes this film... I get why people walk out of this film maybe feeling a little underwhelmed. Because we basically just got a lot of great setup for a better film, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, the next film almost ha- has to be better for this movie to work. So this is why we're in this weird limbo with The Force Awakens right now as we wait for The Last Jedi. So we got Finn. Um, they get the Millennium Falcon. Which I'm glad that they were... I mean, this seems so simple, but this is something that so easily could have been fucked up, which is that the, the Millennium Falcon's a piece of junk. And really, that could have so easily been fucked up in lesser hands with the Millennium Falcon being like awesome ship that can do anything. Yeah, and it's, it's not. It, it is a piece it's of... It's what space, the Millennium I Falcon would have been had it been shoved into the prequels somehow. And, uh, and then we immediately run, and then Han Solo comes barging into the film. And uh, maybe one of the ultimate bits of fan services in movie history. And not, not I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, that's a hell of an entrance. Just mm-hmm. Han Solo stumbling through the door. Chewie, we're home. And then, yeah. all right, you're there. It's Star Wars. Dun, dun, dun. And it was cool, even though we saw it in the trailer. Yes, it's still... So, Elicited applause from the audience. All of yeah. Them. Oh, well, there's applause from the audience every fucking five minutes if you see it on opening night. <laughs> yeah. Stars, yeah. They remember to put stars in Star Wars. <laughs> and then those fans will walk out and go like, it was all right. <laughs> Which is what I don't understand. But I was next to a dude who was way too into it <laughs> on opening day. But, hey, I'm glad he liked it. He came alone, which was a little sad. But (laughs) you got to see Force Awakens with people. Come on. You got to see Star Wars with friends. What if he doesn't have friends? Um, Like Ray. Yeah. He probably doesn't. I I have friends now. (laughs) 
And then everyone just kind of leaves him. And he's like, oh. Yeah. And then he realizes that it's all corporate bullshit. Poor guy. I just want to point out that uh, one thing that makes me incredibly sad every time I rewatch this movie, when we get into the kooky Raftar scene, which, first of all, the bargaining between Han Solo and the two different gangs, that's a great moment. I know shit on the Rathtars as much as possible, but that moment before the Rathtars, I don't think you can complain can complain about. No, no, it's funny. It's it's Han Solo. It's it is classic Star Wars from the Han Solo perspective. It's it works. Yeah. And uh, so they uh, they're all running around with the Rathtars and. Han Solo makes a comment where he says, this is not how I thought this day was going to go. And every time I watch it, I'm like, that's right, Han, because you die. Yeah. And oh my God, every time that line happens, I get incredibly sad. So I'm like, you don't even know. He doesn't even <laughs> know. That because he ran into these fucking kids that stole his ship from a bunch of other people who stole his ship, he's going to die today. And for everyone who says, um, like, oh, well, like, you kind of knew that was going to happen because Harrison Ford and everyone always talked about wanting to kill off Han Solo or whatever. (laughs) You need to understand that killing off a character like Han Solo in a mega corporate franchise world with both Lucasfilm and Disney at the helm, that's a big deal. That's like killing off Iron Man. Mm -hmm. That's that's a moneymaker. That's a a notable dude. I think we've been taught that Harrison Ford has a a number that can be reached that will get him to do anything. Yeah. And that Disney can afford to pay that number. They could have kept bringing him back, but they chose not to. And I think that's what helps make this movie great. Because I also think that maybe inspired Harrison Ford to give a performance that was worth a damn. Yeah, some of we haven't even talked about it, and I feel like... Maybe we don't need to because it's a given, given how popular this movie is. But he's really good in this. He's really good. really good. Yeah. He, he could have shown up and it would, could have been really awkward. It could have been Crystal Skull. Um, yeah. Which has f- moments where he's good, but does not maintain that. Damn, I thought that and this was movie does. This movie does, except for when he has to run down hallways. <laughs> Yeah, there's this moment where he punches one of the space pirates, then tosses him at a raftar, and I'm like, "You tried. It's whatever. It's fine." He's, he's hey, an old that dude. One, that works. A lot. Honestly, watch any moment where he's supposed to be running, and it's awkward. Aww. But hey, they did all right. It it's fine. I can live with that. Um, and they and also, I mean it. People can talk about him being back to being a smuggler all they want, but it's very clear that he's kind he's washed up smuggler and not young dashing smuggler anymore. Which again goes back to the whole thing of like, yeah, it's the same but different, which is you know, it's, I know it's like the quintessential reboot thing and kind of the JJ Abrams thing. Mm. But uh it's similar situations and environments, but it's not like look how cool this is. It's like you get the the sense that the universe is kind of depressing at this point in Star mm-hmm. Wars, that everyone's kind of sad about stuff. Well, that the New Republic came and didn't fix anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it probably fixed some things, but it didn't fix enough. Clearly. Yeah, and that everyone's very lonely. There's a really good video. I'll link to it in the description below. Uh, that 
it was like a 15 minute video essay on why the force awakens is actually great. And I really like it. And it brought up a lot of stuff I hadn't thought of and that nobody's in the relationship in this movie, not just romantically, but like platonically, no character, every character has to be reunited or meet for the first time. No one is like together except for Han and Chewie. Mm. And I thought that was very interesting and made it a little sadder that now that they're all together again and then Han solo dies. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's a little sadder when you think about that Han and Chewie actually in the EU, this doesn't matter in the film, but I just want to bring it up. They actually split up in, at, after the, uh, the events of Star Wars. Um, not, be, not out of like a, you know, falling out. They just like, hey, well, we did what we came here to do. And now Chewbacca's got to go back to Kashyyyk and start a family. And at some point, Han dragged his buddy away from his family <laughs> to go back into the smuggling business that they thought they left behind. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like Chewbacca is Sancho Panza and Han Solo's Don Quixote trying to relive <laughs> these glory days. It was very lucrative to make this movie stuck in the past. Yes, yes it is. But they took it the extra step to actually justify it being stuck in the past. Yeah. To where you get it. You can't really get the corporate stink off of it. And I get that that can be too much to people, especially with what Disney like was just doing this week. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We were going to get that anyway. This is what was going to happen. And it's great that they made it more than just that. This isn't a big thing. I'm fine. You know, what, you know what kind of bugged me? I'm, uh, I just rewatched The Force Awakens this week, and I'm watching it again in the background silently while we're talking about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, this movie's so good. Uh, when Ray has that, that Force vision, and then it's just like this, this really trippy, weird scene, like David Lynch's Star Wars. That type of Force vision weird. we've never seen, by the way. Yes. Uh, David Lynch's Star Wars would have been even weirder, probably. But um, mm. and then she runs away, uh, and she leaves the lightsaber behind. And then Ray gives the lightsaber to Finn, and then the Force Order attacks, right? And Maz uh, gives it to Finn. Yes, there you go. Thank you. And uh, and Finn's like, I need a weapon, and he has a lightsaber in his hand already. Like, did he did he know that that was a lightsaber already? This isn't the big yeah, thing. That, I'm just that it. is actually really clunky, and I think they actually reshot it a lot. Okay. I think there's actually some reshoots happening there because there's a, there's a couple of deleted scenes which aren't on the any DVD release I think, but like I found like back when the Steelbook version of Force Awakens was out and they weren't on that version. Maybe it's on the newer version, but it was like Han Solo like trying to deal with some stormtroopers who got into Maz's place. There's a lot of stuff at Maz's that I feel like was reshot. And you can um, you can kind of tell this is the the part of the movie that's a little clunky for me. It kind of just hops around a little bit. The battle's a little messy, and then it it ends really quickly, and then it starts up again when the the X wings from the resistance come in, and it, well, there's it, no it, real yeah. There's no battle that has no yeah no flow, no like here's the escalating like as things are happening. <laughs> And it's kind of like, oh, we're fighting now. Yeah. And also, my big disappointment is that fucking Maz's castle is filled with all those weirdos. Why weren't they out fighting? I think they were, but you, we, 
We don't end we up should have seen you. that. Yeah, we no, should have no, seen. We ended up seeing you. I think it was cut or reshot or re-edited, whatever. Maybe. That's, just, that's a disappointment because uh, that's a lot of cool design stuff in there that I would have liked to I have kept I get that a lot of those things aren't designed. Like, you could tell that a lot of the uh, practical effects aren't really meant to move too much. Like, they're kind of designed for the one angle they have. <laughs> but I still could have seen a couple of those guys. Yeah, like, like those treasure hunters that uh, Finn almost leaves with. Yeah, yeah, those guys look cool. The guy with the red armor specifically, he's kind of like a yeah. cool-looking Boba Fett. Yeah, like just have him running around like shooting fuckers, and maybe bring him to the Resistance base. I don't know. Yeah, just do something. I, I assume most of those people there are Maz's buddies, but maybe they're not. Yeah, I mean, because one of them calls the resist. I mean, the First Order on them, so. Yeah, but she seemed like she was like someone else. Like they, she was like a friend someone brought. <laughs> I don't know. I get that. I get that vibe. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, whatever. I don't know. It's a little unclear what Maz's purpose is in the Star Wars universe. She's like, I'm no Jedi, but I can. Well, she's a thousand she's, years old. Yeah, she's the Yoda because Yoda's dead. Yes. Um. So he couldn't run into a Yoda. We needed someone to give the backstory. I like the character. I do too. Uh, I was a little disappointed when I found out that uh, What's-Her-Name was going to be playing a CGI character instead of just being herself. What's that actress's name? Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, yes. A fantastic uh, actress. And yeah, that yeah, was gr- too. I was a little disappointed, but I'm glad that she is actually playing a very fun character, who she seems to like. Uh, she seems yeah. very affectionate to Maz. Yeah, they don't... To- All you know is that she's clearly... The- she got... Luke's lightsaber somehow, um, which I'm guessing came from Max von Sydow, who we haven't even talked about. But he was in this movie for about two minutes. Oh yeah. Um, oh, there's this great thing, just like a span of six months, where uh, Max von Sydow was in like things. I won't I won't mm. say everything because there's spoilers, I guess, and I don't want to spoil things. But he was in a lot in like a span of a year to six months, and he died in everything. Yeah, <laughs> he was in it for like two minutes, and then he would die. And I just thought that was funny. Well, I just remember, for me, the funny thing was, I remember, like, like the leading up to this movie, like, Max von Sydow was one of the first people announced to be in the movie. But he wasn't at the cast reading, like, he wasn't at that table reading, but he had been announced by that point. I thought he was, was he not? And, um, no, he's not in there. Look, oh. at, I, I believe if you look at that picture, he's not there. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I remember being like, Oh shit! Like and like and then it was like weeks away from the movie, man. And I'm like, man, we still don't know who he is. Maybe he's like this huge figure that like we like this weird pu- like puppet master from behind the scenes. <laughs> like my mind started racing as though he could be, and literally he's like dead two minutes in. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, all right. And I'm like, man, maybe he's like this force user. He's like the Exorcist, but in Star Wars now. Like, I, like, my mind went, like, all these places, and he's just dead. <laughs> um, which, hey, that's, that's the dangers of fan speculation. I never bought into any of the Darth Plagueis nonsense, but that was about as deep as, that was about as uh, deep as I got on speculating. But, um, but I think it's, I mean, you can pretty much infer that he's the one who found Luke's lightsaber, and he probably gave it to Maz at some point. Because he's some sort of adventurer or treasure hunter. 
and he's the one who has the map to Luke Skywalker, but it's not a map to Luke Skywalker, remember? It's a map of old Jedi temples. Is that explained well in the movie, you think? I do. All right. Um, well, no, not, not Luke's lightsaber. No, 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 no. Uh, the temples. The I think temples. it's, yeah, they say he's looking for the last one. Han Solo says it. You should be listening every time he talks. <laughs> you didn't pick up I'm, on that one. I'm fucking sorry. <laughs> I'm just, I, I know people who are, who are a little iffy on that. They're like, we sing, I know people get a little iffy because they're constantly saying map to Luke Skywalker, but that's not what it is. It's, it's a map uh, of the, the temples, it, yeah. It's a map of the Jedi temples. Yeah. Oh, I haven't talked about uh, how much I love the look of this movie. It's got one of my favorite mm-hmm. cinematographers, Dan Mandel. This is like J.J. Abrams' go-to cinematographer, along with Larry Fong. J.J. Abrams brings back for episode nine, because I like Larry Fong's look of movies, even if I haven't liked a single one of his movies that he's actually shot. I would like to like one of them. So, Might as well be Star it. Wars. Watch yeah. him do the one bad Star Wars. Fuck. Oh, no, you he's, hear doing, that? Uh, he's doing Shane Black's Predator, so maybe that All one. right, that'll be good. Um, I think the first order looks a little too clean. Um, I like the design of Starkiller Base because it's basically built into the planet. That kind of gives it this weird like mix of Death Star and Earth. Um, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, when you're in the hallways of that place, I'm not necessarily talking about the exterior. Although I do think the exterior looks kind of cool. Yeah, um, I know... Um... There's plenty of shit given for it just being a mega Death Star, but I really like the look of the planet Death Star thing. It's, I think it's, it's I cool. think it's fine that it exists. I think it's fine. I think I'm what okay happens it. to it is yeah. is more of my problem. Okay, well let, let's get into that in a second. But if it has to exist, I like that it's not just literally another Death Star. It's like this weird hybrid of Earth and machine. It's a stationary uh, Death Star. Yeah. Um, and also, when it's brought up and Han Solo immediately goes, all right, how do we blow it up? Yeah, that's, that's there you that go. was great. Yeah. Like, but there's no something bullshit. To, but to, to go back, there's something to the First Order, the troops, that kind of bugs me. But um, they're exactly the same, like visually, as the Stormtroopers? Um, that they're just no, troopers. I, I I don't know. They're just it's like they're a little too smooth. Um, I I think people have made the iPod comparison before, but that's like if you owned an iPod like five ten years ago. <laughs> um, oh yeah, but, they're the iMac soldiers. Yeah, I just think it would have been more interesting if like you had the first order, and like their armors, like they were mixing and matching different armors. <laughs> Oh, that would have been like, kind of neat. The show that they're kind of like, you know, scraping together resources. Something a little more tethered. Like, not like the, like the white could have been like a symbol of like the Empire's wealth. And maybe they're gray now or they're like in a more industrial look because they can't really afford to do the white color. Oh, that, that uh, would have been kind of cool. Oh, you I'm know what? That, if, if they did that and then when Poe goes onto the ship, that's when you see like all the clean, pristine stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of like withholding that to like uh, put up a facade 
when they're confronting the resistance and the Republic. Sure, so then, but I think then it's like just... I think the size is all you need, that they, they have an ar- a standing army, which would be a big enough threat. Because, I mean, all these ships, all the First Order ships kind of have a design of, like, they look like... They look like the exoskeletons of other, like, older Imperial ships. Like, they don't look finished. And I think, like, they, 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 they have a, a structure to them. They don't look like they were flying out of a junkyard or something, but they still look like there's a little more polishing that could be done to the ships. Yeah. But that doesn't really connect to the soldiers themselves. But that's just me. I think that's just a little bit of a, a missed opportunity. In a movie that's done that did so well with its costumes and set design, it's like a weird little misstep. Yeah, it sounds um, more like a personal problem, you dick. Yeah. Also, you know what's a weird moment in this movie? Um, to go back, actually, you brought it up, which is when Maz gives uh, Finn that lightsaber. Um, I think it's a little weird that uh, people singled out the girl for being good at uh, sword combat and not uh, Finn for being able to sword fight. I get that it's kind of because Finn sucks and gets his ass kicked, but no one questioned it. Um, and I think that him being him having any ability in sword fighting is a more forced than Ray. Because he already had the which staff. Is very, you know? It's like, yeah. It's there. She's fucking... She would have to learn to defend herself. How is, how is that hard to pick up on? You, you know exactly why. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, but I mean, also, but, I want to point out, to further tell those people to fuck off, uh, that the way she fights with it, she's not swinging it like a sword. Like, look at how she's, she's balancing herself with it. It's really good action choreography, I think, where she's still yeah. swinging it like she swung the, 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 the bow staff, which is a nice little touch. Yeah. Like, just watch a fucking movie, you morons. Just watch the fucking movie you're watching. <laughs> just fucking pay like, attention. If you don't like attention. this movie, it's fine. If you don't like this movie, if you don't like anything about it, you like the character, it's fine. It's fine. But need it on its own terms. Don't, don't just be like, um, she's a Mary Sue and she's too good at everything. Yeah. It's ah, such fucking... bullshit. No one complains about Luke being able to fly into the fucking Death Star. And All that kid could do is shoot. Sky. Hey, he shot fucking swamp rats or whatever. Yeah, that's an offhand line at the beginning of the third act. Yeah. It's the most like fucking... we see of Luke as a pilot before that is he's playing with a toy. <laughs> and he's comp- while he's complaining about his life, <laughs> which might be the like most nerdy thing to possibly do. But you're never going to call him a Mary Sue because, oh, he's Luke, and I'm like Luke fucking assholes that bugs me so much i'm and sorry like no, I, I, go go for it because it, it's a stupid fucking complaint and i think it's so it's, dumb it's also just a, a total people not paying attention to the movie they're watching people want it's to people see her not... physically struggle but I, I bring up the avatar the last airbender comparison a lot to legend of Korra, where mm. luke's story is like ang's story he's a goody two-shoes mm whose struggle is to become the best version of that. He's, his struggles are more physical than spiritual. He goes through a spiritual journey through that, but Ray and Korra's, they're already super powerful. They, they, they already know the physical mm. aspect of, of struggle. Their struggle is internal and spiritual and mm. accepting this higher calling. 
Yeah. Which I think is more interesting to pull it off properly. Yeah. And it's pulled off very well here, in my opinion. And like you call it you, you can call that a sexism, which it very much is. But these people will never see that. Like, yeah, Max, like, like oh, you're just calling me sexist because you disagree. And it's like, no. And this is an example of like it's that type of sexism where like anyone can do it. Like I've done it before where like you suddenly realize you're talking over like a woman or correcting her. And then you kind of like realize, oh wait, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> At least that's what you're supposed to do. Um, I was I was a very obnoxious kid in high school. <laughs> so my uh my lady friends had to endure me talking over them a lot. When they clearly knew more about a subject than I did. You did. But no, I mean I, I was a shithead in high school too. That's called insecurity. <laughs> Which is what every teenage boy is filled with. <laughs> <laughs> Just, but some teenagers don't learn that they're filled with that, and they keep it with them, and they become inexplicably successful screenwriters who think they understand story, and fucking walked out of this movie calling Ray a Mary Sue. You got what type of moron? Ugh. To bring to bring everything back to my rant, because it segues into the best scene in this entire movie. Okay, which is the scene where Kylo interrogates Ray. Which is so fucking good. Whoever wrote it. Whoever's responsible for the most of writing it. I want to know who wrote each individual line. Because it's the best scene in the movie. And I want to shake everyone's hand. Kylo totally exposes himself as a Vader fanboy in this scene. Which is his character. And like most fanboys, he resents that a woman has entered his safe space. <laughs> I mean, he's very pissed that Ray has been given this importance, even though she's just a smuggler. He's very—he was pissed by the mention that a girl was involved. <laughs> Remember that. And I think that's deliberate. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think he's got issues. <laughs> I don't think it's wrong to say Kylo Ren has issues. He, like this, you know, he starts going in on Ray, and he's like, "Oh, you look at Han as a father figure." He's like, "He would have disappointed." Which is very much, you know, he's disappointed in his father. He's disappointed in the reality of his father, and he's in love with the idea of his grandfather. Which isn't even true, because, you know, Darth Vader redeemed himself in the last moments. And this can also be seen as, like, kind of a call-out to the, to the fans of Star Wars, which is that we love this perfect idea of Star Wars, but we have to come to terms with the fact that Star Wars is actually really schlubby and has let us down a lot of times, <laughs> which is, you know, the reality of Han Solo, who, isn't a, who in no way could have been a perfect father. And then to move it from grandfather to father, he's the son, but he kind of resents Rey in this idea that she could take his place as the child, as like become the daughter of all of this. And which she very much becomes, she carries on. This, this is get, getting metatextual a little bit here. I think it's very deliberate that he's pissed off about her essentially taking his place. Of course, he tries to uh, read her mind, in which we get those visions that show us where Luke is, although you won't know that on the first time through. 
Um, but the fact that she can even store those images so well is the first hint that she has the Force in her. And then he, I mean, he basically awakens the Force within her. The Force Awakens of the title. How people didn't pick up on that is fucking beyond me, because people complain <laughs> about her having Force abilities. But this is, the whole fucking movie is about the Force Awakening. And as I pointed out, I wrote on Twitter today about how, like, the first line of the movie is about how the, there's imbalance in the Force, because there are no Jedi. Which is why Kylo is so powerful, and why someone like Rey is just popping up. And we, now that we know with the last Jedi trailers that she, she's also super powerful in a way that frightens Luke. And he draws, he draws the very clear connection to Kylo. And it's probably because of this imbalance that we're getting these ultra-powered force users. And there also might be something else going on there, but we can, we can speculate on that a little later. People missed it, apparently. Maybe that was when everyone decided to get a bathroom break. Well, here, I, I think it's also because Abrams has been known to be kind of, at his worst, a little shallow as, as a storyteller. Maybe, maybe shallow is not the right word, but... Um, simple. There you go, simple. And so when stuff like this does happen, small miracles where his stories are filled with stuff like this, worth reading into, people kind of refuse to see it or maybe maybe don't want to see it or just don't believe that it's actually there i'm not trying to say this is like the deepest shit ever because it's not but it's deeper than anyone gives it credit for which apparently isn't much and uh and then then the movie doesn't really ever get that good again because <laughs> then we gotta lead into the attack on star killer base which is the biggest drop ball Okay, it's uh, very odd that you say that because the Star Killer base stuff is is fine. It's uh, Captain Phasma, I think, is a total missed opportunity. Mm. Um, Gwendolyn Christie, God bless her, has nothing to do behind that mask. Uh, cool outfit, I guess. Cool cape, whatever. Very much trying to be like the the modern Boba Fett in terms of like, oh, isn't that design cool? And it is cool, but there's there's nothing to her. And she's already done more than Boba Fett in the trailer for The Last Jedi. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, as for the rest of the, the, the Starkiller base material, I think it's, it's good, it's fine, and then something happens, something shifts in the narrative when Kylo and Han Solo meet on that bridge. But let, I want to hear your, your thoughts on... That's separate. Okay. There you go. This is separate from what I'm talking about. Okay, what are you, what are you talking because about? Because you could have done that moment. It's fine. I'm talking about the actual attack on the base. I'm talking about the entire fact that the climax is this battle, which is unnecessary. Um, for one, I mean, I'm very confused about Starkiller Base, to be honest. Um, it's powered by the sun, apparently. It, t- it destroys the sun, right? Yeah, it, it absorbs suns and then uses that energy to. But it's, a, it's but it's not power to attack. But it's not a, it's not a space station. It's a planet. Yes, well, it it's, does it's both it, now. It's both it now. does no, it's not. It's a planet. <laughs> well, it's a, it's very it's clearly a, a planet. It's a planet that they built a weapon into. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a hybrid thing. Yeah, but it doesn't move. No, it doesn't. So how, where do you find another sun? 
I don't know. Fucking, it's, that doesn't I mean, feel like a question that Star Wars needs to answer. This one needs a little bit of an answer. I don't know. The next solar system over? No. It, I don't know. There's, there's, they, there's twin suns on Tatooine. I, no, no. Hey, I'm fine with twin suns. But my thing <laughs> is that once it fires again, it's no longer a threat. Oh, oh shit! I never thought of that. So you don't need to destroy it. You just need. You don't. The only reason that 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 is very much where the movie totally swings in the wrong direction, which this movie has been doing so well to avoid in just aping imagery from the original. Usually, even when they do, there's something to it. But this time, they're very clearly just trying to do the Death Star battle again. And totally missing the point of the Death Star battle. You can talk... It, this makes fucking the Death Star battle in Return of the Jedi, which is a little awkward, seem like it's fucking like the key to everything <laughs> in that movie. This is so... The battle over Starkiller Base is so unnecessary. But, it's, but they forced it in there just to get those images in the movie. And that's JJ. That like that's where it felt like it went from JJ doing Star Trek 09 to JJ doing Star Trek Into Darkness. I don't know if it's that hard of a For, swing, but it's it doesn't. It's need to con be coming back. It's I, con. I don't know that, that that's a little harsh. I feel it's like it's so, but it's so boring, and we're constantly cutting back to the battle, and it's unnecessary. All you needed was like a strike force to go in. To disable Starkiller Base from the inside. But that wouldn't have been as interesting. So they didn't do that. I mean, that wouldn't have been as action-packed. But instead they put in a boring action scene. So it just drags... Like, that's the stuff that drags for me when I rewatch it. It's that whole... Every time they keep cutting to Poe flying around and shit. Yeah. And they, they, they felt they needed a big space battle like that. Even though it's technically not in space. It's it's like it's there hadn't been one. It's, it's 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 like in space and then it's not in space and they kind of they kind of work down all the it's it's everything. It's in space and then it's on the the planet's atmosphere yep. and then it's inside the base and then it's escape. I don't know I just hate the Star Killer base battle. Like that's the one thing that really like of all the shit in the movie it it clangs the hardest for me. But the movie picks up after that. Oh, apart from that, I should say. Apart from There's the a part that's completely base. separate from the battle that's only yes. tangentially connected that is great, which is the death of Han Solo. And again, um, very strong visual storytelling with uh, red and blue shining on Kylo red, Ren's blue, face. Red, blue, light, yeah. darkness. Yeah, get it? Uh-huh. It's a little simple, but I mean, it's cool. It's fucking more dynamic than anything in the prequels. And then I the mean, second the light runs out, his his face is engulfed in red, and it's just like you know, you know it's coming. I mean, as soon as Han Solo walks out onto that bridge, you just know. Well, I had heard there had been rumors that this was going to happen in the movie. It was kind of odd. I mean, if they, if they were going to kill anyone, it was going to be Han. Yeah. But I was still shocked when it happened. Even though the moment that whole scene like begins, you know how it's ending because I just didn't think Disney had the guts to do it. And the fact that it's, it's a great actually moment. like powerful and emotionally resonant is just another thing entirely that is that's well done to everyone involved. And a lot of people complain 
some people complain, idiots complain, that Han Solo kind of distracts from the main story in this movie, which I don't, I do not believe is true. They do a great job keeping him as the side character, but this is the moment when he steps into the spotlight, and uh, it's the right moment for that to happen. That's the one moment where uh, even Ray feels like a side character. But you got to do it for this moment. Yeah, he he never he never overtakes the narrative. He I, I mentioned him. I think he pushes it in certain directions at times, but no more than he ever needs to, which is mm-hmm. a testament to the writing and direction. But uh, yeah, right here it's it's, it's the moment, and uh, just after Kylo Ren stabs him, uh, and he just touches his son's face, and then he just falls to his death. It's just a small. Again, small little things like that that add so much more than uh, I would have ever given J.J. Abrams credit for. And everyone and I'm else not one, this movie. And I think everyone knows I'm not one for character death. And I'll believe that that's always a great idea, but it totally works here. Well, the final lightsaber fight happens, and it's the exact same fight location as uh, the previous fight location between Kylo Ren and Rey. Just this time has a bunch of snow all over it. I don't know if you noticed that. Is it the same set? Yep. Huh. Look at look at with the the little not tunnel, but a little like crevice that they that Ray is chased through, uh, and then they fight through it this time in the snow. They're not equally matched, but they're swinging, and everything's snowy. And I, I caught it like immediately. And every time I bring it up, I feel like people are surprised. And I feel really bad for ruining that illusion. So maybe I shouldn't I, even bring it up right now. I love that. Okay. I love when movies do that. I don't know why. It's like, hey, you found a, you did a trick. The, the magic trick isn't ruined if you know how the trick is done. If it is, it's a shitty magic trick. <laughs> Which this is not. Because this is actually my favorite scene in the movie. Mm. Uh, specifically the moment when Ray catches the lightsaber as Kylo's reaching out to it. Again, he just keeps getting shit on. He just keeps mm. getting knocked down pegs, and he's getting really mad. Oh, yeah, we saw so much, and he got shot. Which, yeah. I mean, everyone, which, everyone uh, he plays out. So which fanboys have to bring up every time they get a little insecure about him getting beaten by a girl. And um, yep. what I really love in the final fight is when... Uh, well, first when he's starting the fight with, with Finn, and he's just, like, beating his side. He's, like, he's going crazy. He's, like, losing it. And he's just yelling out, like, traitor to Finn. Got the implication that he wasn't just yelling it directly at Finn. It was kind of like his internal turmoil is just, like, bursting out from within him. Yeah. You know, like, he just killed his dad. And he's, he's, he's all over the place. I think one of the big things about Kyle Ren is that he's, a, uh, he's all talk. He's a big talker. And so it makes sense that he would get beat by a girl that had never wielded a lightsaber before, in my opinion. Even though he did, he had been shot, but I get it. You you need him to be injured because you want him to be a tough guy. Because because you saw those pictures on Empire Magazine, you were like, he's gonna be so awesome. I guess quote unquote awesome. He he's a fucking monster of a he's of a, a fascinating character. There you go. Yeah, and he's so interesting to me. He's so interesting. And I honestly think he's the exact character of franchise that a lot of franchises need, honestly. Because a lot of franchises, no matter how villainous they make out characters to be, there's always a lot of weird villain worship going on in them. Yeah. I mean, 
And I get it. I mean, I love villains in movies too. Mm-hmm. Um, especially very obviously coded gay villains. <laughs> um, but uh, it's something where there's, there's a point where someone gets way too into how awful a villain is. It's like all the people who think the Joker's right. <laughs> I don't know, it's just this weird thing about villain worship that I think it go it can get a little fucked up. And I think we needed someone to go like, hey, guys who worship villains in some ways can be kind of pathetic. Which Kylo Ren totally is. And now Kylo I mean, is a very yeah. broken human being, and I'm interested to see how it plays out. Which is why I think it's essential for him not to have a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want him to. I don't know, I'm a little away. more open to it than I was, but it would still take a lot. You it depends on what story. It depends on where he goes in the next movie, where it looks like he's rejecting his own teeth, like he's rejecting everything. I don't want to speculate too much. It would be cool if uh, Ray ran off with him, like Will Graham almost did with Hannibal. I was, I'm, I'm watching Hannibal, so I'm thinking about that. Oh, and so then fucking I, good. And then eventually, like, Ray realizes, like, no. <laughs> like, hey, you're still fucked up. Mm-hmm. And then he's just, like, lost by himself now instead of having anyone else with him. Yeah. Could, <laughs> could, be, could be good. Yeah. Um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. The only problem with this scene is that the sword fight sucks because no one is jumping around. Are you, are you being serious? Or? There's, no, there's no scene where someone... F- Rides down a river of okay. lava. You're being, you're being sarcastic. That's fine. That's yes, fine. I am. Okay. <laughs> because this is the best sword fight in the franchise. Okay. Other than Darth Vader versus Luke the first time. Um, I think my favorite is still Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi has a lot more emotion going on in it. Yeah, that's why I like it a lot. And this one has a but lot the choreography, of choreography. The choreography isn't great. Well, because the end is just Luke wailing on Vader. <laughs> yeah, I get, and I get that that's the point, but there's a lot of... You can feel the choreography in that a lot more than in this sword fight and in the Cloud City fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and I just can't get that image of Vader awkwardly falling over out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so forced. They're not even that, like, before that. Like, when he gets into the position where he's, like, laying on his side before Luke cuts yeah, his hand off. Yeah, he kind of, like, kneel. Like, he has to take a second. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a like, little edited around that. <laughs> like, um, George. But, uh... I think this... I think Cloud City might be the best, and then this is a runner-up. Uh, I'd, I'd say this is the best choreographed, then. It, this feels very... You feel every hit in a big way, in a way that feels impactful and emotional. And it's uh, been how long since we had a good lightsaber fight? I mean... The, the, the kickoff to the Obi-Wan-Anakin fight in Revenge of the Sith, I would say that. No. The, the, the first minute of that, the first couple minutes of that are solid. No. Oh, fuck off. I'm sorry, it's not good. It, it, you can't make that good. I'm sorry, that's... that's... Oh, okay, you know what? No, no, no. Um, the Phantom Menace fight at the end's solid, but even uh, the, the the Clone Wars cartoon, the first one, the tar- the Tartar. No, they're one. jump they're jumping around too much in the Clone Wars cartoon. No, no, I'm the, sorry, that was that the, was a sticking point with me. Okay, 
But then uh, I meant the Grievous one, the one where he's a monster and just fucking obliterates everyone. That that's, yeah, but that's a that's not really a fight. That's just a beatdown. Yeah, that's a slaughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I like the moment in Phantom Menace when Darth Maul's just pacing. Okay. Well, fine. That if was you, if, cool. if you want to negate everything else, I like then sure. Return of the Jedi is the last good lightsaber fight. Yes, I'm just saying there hasn't been one that was that compelling since 83. <laughs> and everything Diego says is wrong and I'm right. So 83 was the last time we had a good lightsaber fight. <laughs> well, for me, it was 2005. So so the movie's ending. Credits. It's over. Oh, yeah. Luke has no fucking lines in it. Luke has no lines. And some people were very upset about that. Well, I remember going into it because I had heard that rumor, too. It was like every rumor was flying. I also heard like shit that totally didn't happen in the movie, but um, <laughs> uh, I remember being like, man, if that happens, I'm going to be so pissed. I, I just want to see Luke say something. And it didn't happen. I'm like, fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how much that movie won me over in its runtime is that I was totally okay with that. Because I really, I'm, I, I think like you can divide people up into, like, the Luke Skywalker kids and the Han Solo kids. Growing up, I and mean, I was always more on Team Luke than Team Han. Yeah. And, uh, so, like, that's what I was there for. And the fact that he's not in the fuck, he's barely in the fucking movie. <laughs> and I was okay with that, I think, speaks volumes to how much this movie works. What do you think of the final shot? Fucking, um, the last shot of this movie's a little awkward with that helicopter shot. Okay. But that's like nitpick shit. And that's something everyone said. But yeah, it's still awkward. I thought it was awkward when I first saw it. And the second time, I was like, fucking brilliant. No, it's awkward. I, I, did, I, I love some, it. It wraps around the with, past and present, leading towards an uncertain future. Fuck you. It's so Listen, good. Fuck that. It's anyway, so good. Yeah, too bad it looks like it's shot from a fucking helicopter. Sure, whatever. It's so uh, good. Anyway, I have a whole problem with that just because I know because they had a lot of regulations for what they could shoot on that island because it's like a national park or whatever. Not, I don't national, not national park, but whatever. It's a protected like wildlife zone. Yeah. Um. So like they couldn't shoot at night or anything. Like they had to shoot for very specific. So like that's that whole ending. I think is a little too bright in general. Like, I think there should have been a little more of a mysterious quality to it. But that's just me. That's nitpicking. And then there's that terrible helicopter shot, and then it ends. Oh, it's so good. Um, which is, you're wrong. No, it's, it's not good. It's amazing. It'll never look good. It, it already does. It doesn't matter what they're trying to do with it. They didn't do it well enough. Oh, they did it just right. Force Awakens is great. Fuck off if you don't like it. Um... Sorry if you don't like it. Not really. You don't deserve it. Um, well, I mean, I get people have valid complaints about it, and that's that's fine. There are valid complaints, none of which I addressed. I had like stuff written down, but I never got into it. But that's that's fine. Um, there'll be time to talk about it at some point on Twitter. I'm sure. I'm a little disturbed if you like the prequels, but don't like this. Um, but whatever. Everyone's entitled to their opinions, no matter how wrong they are. You can find me at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. You can find me on Twitter at D-E-G-G-O-Waffles. Uh, like and subscribe. If you didn't like this, like and subscribe anyways. If you want to find something you do like, check out Patreon. Links down below. 
They help us make more videos and long-form content before Matt dies. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Matt dies. We have been professionally unprofessional. That ain't good. Oh, no. There are stories about what happened. It's true. to you.